All right. Well, as we transition, uh, this was not. This has nothing to do with Dave, but we are going to talk a little bit about famous last words. Uh, it's not because of your certain birthday, but uh, <laughs> no. But we are just. We are in this whole Easter season right now, and we're looking into some words of Jesus. And I want you just to think about this. Think about this question: What would your last words be if you knew you were going to die? What would you want your famous last words to be? If you were leaving or if you, were, you knew you were passing on, what would you want to say? What would be that most important thing that you would want to say to the people that are closest to you in your life? Uh, just uh, some, some fun ones, uh, some uh, fun, famous last words of people. Nostr- Nostradamus, you know, this like predictor person, right? He said, tomorrow at sunrise, I shall no longer be here. And that one, he was right. And uh, then this guy, Richard Mellon, was a multimillionaire. He was a president of a large company. And him and his brother had a game of tag that went on for seven decades. Okay, they had this game of tag. And he's in his last moments, and he asks his brother to lean in. And he touches him and says, tag. And then he died. (laughs) Incredible. Yeah, and so his poor brother was it for four more years until he eventually passed away. Uh, But then uh, another one, Harriet Tubman, she sang with her family, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Those were her last words, singing that, that rich song. Leonardo da Vinci, right? Think of accomplishments in life. Leonardo da Vinci's got some big ones. He said this, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. So I guess the Mona Lisa wasn't enough, you know. Humility or low self-esteem, I'm not sure, but man, that's rough. And then uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who wrote the Sherlock Holmes uh, novels and stories, he just turned to his wife and said, you are wonderful, and then he passed away. I know, it's a good one. And uh, finally, I like this last one, it's a little more playful, that Wilson Misner, who was a playwright, on his deathbed, a priest came up to him and said, oh, I'm sure you want to talk to me now. And Misner says to the priest, why should I talk to you? I've just been talking to your boss. And so I like that one. I like that one. Uh, But anyway, you know, these famous last words, what would we want to say before, you know, we would die? And then we think about this, this this holy week, this week of celebrating Jesus' life, but his death, his burial, and his resurrection. What were the words that Jesus wanted to say to his disciples, those that were closest to him, what were some of the words that he wanted to say to them? And that's what we're going to look at today. As we think about preparing ourselves for Easter, we see how Jesus prepared his disciples to be better together. You know, we've been talking about this whole thing of better together for a while, and we're going to be talking about it for a lot more. Okay, a lot. We're going to be really focusing in on this concept of being better together. And this Easter, we're just calling it Easter together because it's all about us being better together with, with us that we know that sort of that horizontal relationship that we would have from person to person that we truly are better together with people who are just like us and with people who are totally different than us. We're better together. But we also know that it's not just horizontal, that it's vertical. And so this Easter, we really remember that we are better together with Jesus and even as you see some of the visuals that we have that are, that are coming up even more, that we have this sense of connectedness. 
that the, the string that shows this connectedness to one another, but even as it goes up, it gives us a symbol of being better together with God, this connectedness to God. And so we want to remember that and we want to really grasp onto what does that mean? What does that look like? Because Jesus talks about that here in some of his last words. And so I'd love for you to grab your Bibles and turn to John 13. Okay? If, you got, uh, if you're looking up on your phone, that's easy. If you've got the Bible that's on the back of the chair in front of you, uh, it's on page 84 to 85 of the New Testament. Those Bibles that are there, the numbers start over in the second half. So that's why it's page 84, but it's closer to the, the second half. Where we look at John 13, and this is where Jesus is celebrating this Passover meal with his disciples. We often call it the Last Supper. And these are some of the words that he has to say. And so we want to look at uh, John 13, 33 right now. And Jesus starts here. He says, little children, as he speaks to his disciples, little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Okay, so Jesus is about to go, right? He's about to die. He will come back to life, but then he will ascend into heaven and he will no longer be with them. And what is the big thing that he wants to say to them? The big thing he wants to say is simply this. Love each other. Love each other. If I can give you anything, Jesus says, here's what it is. Love one another. This is what I want you to be about. This is how the world will know that you follow me if you love each other. So care for one another. Love each other. The whole thing is about that, all right? And he even says, a new commandment I give to you to love one another. Now, it's interesting that he would say a new commandment because part of just the, the first and second greatest commandments, he says, that are in the Old Testament is to love God and love your neighbor, right? Those are the greatest commandments already. But he's saying this, I have a new way to show you those commandments. And I, what I mean by that is that he's saying to love one another in the way that he loves his example of love is a new commandment for them, for them to see the life of Jesus and to love in that way. So I thought, you know, let's look at what does some of that mean and what does that look like to love each other like Christ, to love each other in the way that Jesus would. So just first of all is that this kind of love is sacrificial, okay? This kind of love sacrifices of oneself for the good of someone else. Ephesians 5.2 says this, Walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Okay, so Jesus says, this is an example of my love, right? That you would give up, Paul is saying this to the people of Ephesus, that, that Jesus gave himself up for all of us. And that is how he showed his love. That our love needs to be self-sacrificing. That we consider someone else as more important than ourselves. That we would give up our comfort, our convenience, 
our way to allow that other one to be served and to be loved. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did. And that's the kind of example that he set for us, that we would also love sacrificially. So with all of these things, I want you to sort of, okay, yeah, I know that, you know, Mr. Pastor on stage, love is sacrificial, right? But stop for a second and think, do I love this way? Do I love this way? Then we see another way that maybe we could love like Christ. These are now Christ gives us this command to love this way, but because I don't think Christ needs to apologize or seek forgiveness for anything. But love apologizes and love seeks forgiveness. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew 5. He says, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. So there's this huge importance, right, placed on that you would apologize, seek forgiveness, ask for that, reconcile with those that you have have wronged in some way. That if we want to love in the way that Christ commands us to here, that we love in this kind of way, that we are the kind of people that would never be too prideful to apologize. And I just have, I feel like I've, I've seen this in people where they, they don't want to apologize. You know, they're like, oh, I don't have anything to apologize for. I'm right. You know, you're like, it doesn't matter if you're right. That's actually the last thing that matters. What matters is that you love Right? What matters is that you seek out reconciliation, that you care about the other person more than you care about yourself. And that applies not just to seeking forgiveness, but to giving forgiveness as well, which we see in the book of Ephesians, where it says this Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So we follow that example of Jesus here, that as Jesus forgives, we forgive. And so we wouldn't hold grudges. We wouldn't hold things in. We wouldn't hold on to to conflicts that we've had with people, that we would be willing to be people who forgive, that we give forgiveness. We're willing to talk when someone else wants to talk. We're willing to, to listen to their words and then to give forgiveness, just like Christ forgives us. And I love the beauty of this passage, even as it's just, hey, be kind, right? Be kind to one another. It says that the kindness of the Lord actually leads us to repentance. So as we follow that example of that kindness, that we are able to show people Jesus, right? And that's what we're trying to do. We show people that love and kindness of God, that we're tenderhearted, forgiving each other. That's the spirit, that's the attitude that we want to have. So consider again, your life in this moment, when it comes to seeking forgiveness and giving forgiveness. Because we can see the church torn down when these kind of conflicts are living in our hearts. You know, that we aren't then being that, that example of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Love then also, just a couple more things that love does that we can 
we can do it like we could probably talk forever about this. But love does good for the other person. Love is action, right? Love cares about doing things for people. Love does. There's even this whole book and thing I called Love Does. Love doesn't just say, love does. Love is action, Galatians 6.10. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. That again, we're loving one another. And the way that we love one another is this example then to the world. And that's incredible, right? So we want to love each other in action. And finally, love is not just for each other, but for all people. I love this passage in 1 Thessalonians where it says, May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. That God is going to give us that strength to love one another in this kind of way. It's the number one thing that Jesus says, like, I'm going to go. So here's what you got to remember. Love each other. And we see this history of Christianity, right, over the course of the last couple thousand years. And there's some loving each other, but there's some serious conflict as well. And so we want to grow in that. How can we be an example of what does this look like to love one another and then love all people and that they would see, that they would see it because we want them to be able to see it. I was, uh, I was on a jury this last week. I was on a jury trial. I went to jury duty and then I got assigned to a trial and it was a criminal case and I was there for five days and uh, it was kind of a whole crazy thing. I was super surprised. I've gone there multiple times and then, you know, you just sort of do your day and get dismissed. And, you know, I've never got put on a case before, but I got put on a trial. And I was sitting there, <clears throat> excuse me, I was sitting there thinking about, wow, okay, at some point, I'm going to have to just say if I think this guy is guilty or not guilty. Like, I'm going to have to judge him, right? And like you think about it, it's kind of a just intense moment to be the one that says whether somebody is guilty or not guilty and going to go to jail probably, okay? Now, um, just kind of like a, a, a wild thing actually when you think about it to, to do. And they even say, you are the judge of the facts. The judge is the judge of the law. You're the judge of the facts. And so you have to make that decision. And you think about how, you know, we always think like, oh, being judgmental or whatever is bad. Well, here we have a a situation in, in this passage in John 13, where Jesus says, guess what? If you don't show love to each other, the world basically has the right to judge you. Because it says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So therefore, if you don't have love for one another, they can think you are not a disciple of Jesus. You're not his follower if you don't have love for one another. I mean, that's kind of a big statement, right? When you think about this and start to step back and then think about my life. Am I really showing love to others? And if I'm not, like people can just then say, well, you're not really a follower of Jesus, are you? I mean, that's, it says, by this, all men will know. And so we got to stop and think about our lives and the example that we are living out. And if we are living out this most important thing that right away Jesus says, what you got to do, I'm leaving. What you got to do is love. And so we need to love. And 
And then he, he doesn't just stop there, though. And, you know, he's got a lot of words to say in this whole segment. I really encourage you just to, it might be a great practice this week just to read through all of John 13 to the end of John and read just more about what did Jesus want to say you know, to his disciples in full in this moment. Because what he says next is really interesting. So let's look at the next three verses, okay, 36 to 38. He says, Simon Peter. So he's just said, hey, you know, everybody's going to know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Then Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Now, it's kind of funny because if you look up at 33, right, he's like, I'm with you a little while longer. And then Peter tuned out. Okay, like, as he said these words, I'm with you a little while longer, and Peter stopped listening. That's all he heard. Because he's saying all this stuff about love one another, love one another. And Peter's like, wait, 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 wait. Lord, where are you going? You know, that's what you have here, okay? And, and Jesus answered him. He says, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I feel like I, I hear it like a four-year-old, like, right now, you know? Uh, I'm not saying it totally was that, but that's kind of how I hear it. And <clears throat> Peter says, I will lay down my life for you. Passionate. And Jesus answers these are some of the most brutal words, okay? He says, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. We know this story, right? We know this familiar story of Peter denying Jesus. But what you got to get your head around is, that, is what Jesus is doing here. It's very interesting because Peter has just said, like, I will do anything for you. I've got this, Jesus. I will take care of this. I'm in charge kind of thing, you know. Like, I will be there. I'm the man. And Jesus is like, okay, guess what? And he says, guess what? You are going to be so ashamed of me that you won't even admit that you know me to people. That's like, whoa. Right? We hear this like Peter's, Peter denies Jesus. You know, and you sort of hear that. I, I don't know about you, but I sort of hear that in like Christianese language and I don't really think about what it means. And so I have to put it in different words is how it helps me that Peter ends up being so ashamed of Jesus that he will deny that he even knows who he is. That's what he ends up doing. And Jesus is telling him right here, guess what, Peter? This is what you're going to do. And I think that there's a part of what's going on here, and I'm going to explain it more, but there's part of this is that Jesus is saying, know that you will be afraid and know that you will fail. I want you to know that, okay? Know that you will fear and know that you will fail. I mean, this is, this is serious speaking truth in love. This is not just kind of fluffy, happy, grace you know, lovey talk at this point. This is serious truth talk from Jesus to Peter. Because he says, you will be so ashamed to even admit that you know me. And then at that point, you know, we don't see Peter talking anymore. You know, he just kind of goes quiet, or at least we don't hear about in this account what it is that he's saying. But what I want you to know is that I believe that Peter is still loved in this moment. In this moment that Jesus says, I know that you're afraid, and I know that you will fail, I love you. We are afraid, and we fail, right? We sin. We, we're afraid. We might be even act 
ashamed. We might be around a group of people that you just know hate Christians, basically, you know, or think we're idiots, basically, or something like that. And you know that when you're around a group of people like that. And, you know, sometimes you just feel like, do I want to say that I'm a Christian? You know, that sort of thing. Like, do I really want to play that card right now? And, and that's where, you know, we have to step back and say, okay, we fear too, right? We're afraid. We think, how could Peter deny Jesus three times? I mean, he's Peter, you know, but we feel that. We feel that fear. We feel that fear of trusting someone we can't see. We feel that fear of the circumstances or the troubles in our life. We feel that fear of failure even, right? That, that we're going to blow it. We feel afraid of all of that. And Jesus, here's the thing, he knows. He knows. And he also knows that we sin. He knows that Peter is going to fail. He acknowledges it. He knows that you will sin. He, know that, he knows that you'll make mistakes. And he kind of just says here, look, we got to acknowledge this now. Let's just get it out there. You're going to blow it, okay? You're going to blow it. Let's just put that on the table. But guess what? I still love you. And you still matter. And you still have great things that you can do for my kingdom. Incredible things. You're going to blow it. It's going to happen. But guess what? Love never fails. Love matters more than our perfection. Our sin is not the most important thing about ourselves. That's not the thing that Jesus thinks about when he thinks about you is the thing that the last sin that you committed, right? That's not what's most important about you. What's most important about you is that you are loved by God, that he loves you, that his grace covers that sin. And that, you know, I mean, the disciples even in this moment, they've been told all this stuff, and then they freak out, basically, right after. Jesus gets arrested, Mark's running away with his clothes falling off or whatever, and then you've got, you know, people going back to their old jobs, and they become fishermen again, and they're hiding out in a room just together. Peter denies him. You have all this stuff happening right after that Jesus gets arrested, right after he just told them all this stuff, you know? The fact that Peter denies him right after being told that he's going to deny him is kind of crazy. But at the same time, like, we get freaked out, too. That it is, even all the people on this Palm Sunday at the triumphal entry, all the people as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, and praising him, that those are the same people who then abandoned him. But Jesus never abandons them. That Jesus' love never fails. And so there comes this moment where then Jesus says some more words. And I want you to look at your Bible. Like really, okay, you got to see this. And sometimes even on your phone, it doesn't work as well because, you know, you have to like flip over to go from chapter 13 to 14 and you don't see 13 anymore on your phone. Okay, so you just got to, like at the same time, sometimes it's just good to look at the actual paper. And you've got, you've got to also then in your mind, and you can, maybe even could do this on your phone, just get rid of all the numbers. Okay, get rid of all the verse numbers, get rid of all the chapter numbers and titles and all that stuff. And you just get rid of it and just look at the text. Because... Jesus says this to Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And the very next words, I don't think this is like, and then they got up and, you know, had a little break from the table, and then they come back to the table, and then Jesus says verse 1. No, the very next words happen right away. And it says, Jesus says, you're going to deny me. You're going to fear. You're going to fail. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. 
believe also in me. He says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And then Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? You know, it's just like, seriously, we don't get it. And, and he's frustrated almost, I think. You know, and I, I really love Thomas because he's just the one that says what everyone else is thinking. And Jesus says to him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. They're all confused. They're all afraid. They, they all know that they sin. Peter's just been told he's going to be too ashamed to even admits he knows Jesus. But then Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe, he says. Believe in God. As you believe in God, and he says in me, who is God, Jesus, as you believe in God, you're going to be all right. <laughs> you know? It's going to be okay. As you believe in God, not yourself. Peter, stop this whole thing like, I got this, right? No, no, no. That's not what I want. I don't want you thinking I got this. I don't want you thinking you're going to come save the day. No. I got this, Jesus says. Jesus says, I've got you taken care of. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And I love just how he cares for him. You know, right away, you're going to blow it. You're going to do something super mean to me, basically. But don't let your heart be troubled. I've got this. I've got you. And so our belief, this believing in Jesus is kind of this thing of, okay, if we are afraid and if we know we fail and we know we're supposed to love one another, right? And it, so when we believe then, it keeps our eyes fixed on Jesus instead of being fixed on our fear and our failure or our need to think that we got to love more people into being Christians or something, that we're going to do it out of our own power. All of that. He says, no, no, just keep your eyes fixed on me. Keep thinking about me. Believe in me. Trust in me. And this stuff's going to work out. You know, I will care for you, but don't think that you've got this in your own power. We need to trust in Jesus. And so we trust in a few things in this passage. We trust in Christ's preparation. First of all, he says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I have got this whole thing planned out. Basically, Jesus is saying like, I know what's going to happen. I know where I'm going. I know the way and it's me. You know, I've got this taken care of. I'm preparing the future for you. So you don't need to worry. Just trust, trust in what I'm preparing for you. And then I'm preparing a place for you to spend eternity with me, he says. And then we need to trust in Christ's proclamation, what Jesus proclaims about himself. We need to trust. We trust that when they ask, what is the way? Where are we going? Jesus proclaims, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Not through your good works, not through any other religions or whatever. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus makes a very bold proclamation about who he is in this passage right here. Believe in that. Trust in that. Trust in who Jesus says he is. 
And that, you know, okay, keep your eyes fixed on him. Keep your eyes fixed that he's Jesus, that he's God, not something else that we try to create him to be, but who he says he is. Trust in Christ's proclamation. And then one, one more thing is that we trust in Christ's power. We trust in his power and we trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. That we think often, like Peter did, that we can do this ourselves or we need to, like by my own willpower or by my own strength, I'm gonna, all right, I'm gonna like love more. I'm gonna not be afraid or I'm not gonna fail. And, you know, I'm gonna do this. Like I've, I've gotta do more good works and I know that's what love does, right? And so I've gotta go more, 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 more and think I gotta do this myself. But we have to trust in the power of God And Jesus then will go on in the rest of of 14 and some other parts of this talk that he gives and tell them about the Holy Spirit who will come and help give them power, help give them words to say when they have none of their own, to help give them comfort, to be the one that will be with them when he is gone. And so we trust in that power of the Holy Spirit that we cannot do this ourselves, that we have to have that power of the Spirit in our lives because... I want you to to get this at a couple levels. Just like salvation, if we want salvation from our sins, to be able to be forgiven and to spend eternity with God, if you are someone who does not know that you have that right now, I want you to think about this because Jesus says, trust in me, I'm the way. That we know that in in Romans 10.9 it says, confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. It's very clear. Very clear. Salvation is a, is a receiving of a gift. It's not an earning. It's a receiving. That there's this gift of being saved, forgiven, welcomed, adopted into the family of God. This is all a gift that's given that you simply receive. And so I would ask you today if you have received that gift. And we want to be able to pray with you about that. We're going to have folks in a little bit even available if you want. The prayer points are out in the lobby that we want to pray with you about that. That you would confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and leader of your life. And believe in your heart that he died and rose again. You will be saved. But just as for salvation, it is a receiving of a gift. It's also in the sense of living this life out as a follower of Christ we still have to receive power from God as a gift, that we have to live that out through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to receive grace to then even, not just for salvation, but grace to live this life as a Christian. If we really think we can just love one another. I mean, you think about loving one another and you think, yeah, okay, I can do that. And then there's that one person in your head that you're thinking about. You're like, "Eh." maybe except that one, right? (laughs) You know? And maybe you might even look around and you're like, eh, they're kind of over there in the room even, you know? And it's like, no, we got to do that. But we can't do that by our own power because we don't like that person, right? I mean, we got to recognize in ourselves that we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to reconcile with our brother and sister in Christ so that we can be an example to the world of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that they might come into relationship with Jesus. And that's what we want. That's what we want to live out so much. And so I hope that you see these last words of Christ as words that 
are like from a loving father, a loving parent that's just is trying to care for you, to show you as he is going to be going, here's what I want you to be about. Love each other. Know that you're going to blow it, but believe and keep your eyes fixed on me, even in that moment or as you come out of that, and I will take care of you. You can't take care of yourself. I will take care of you, Jesus says. Those are his last words. That's what he wants you to hear as you prepare yourself even this week for celebrating Easter. And so I just want to talk about a few things very briefly that I think you can do to prepare for Easter this year. One is, as we talked a little bit about, if just to read through one of the Gospels or a portion of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and just spend some time in prayer and reflection this week thinking about the words and actions of Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection. And then encourage you to attend some of these services that we have available, whether that's the Passover Seder or the Good Friday service or the Easter services, and just to both reflect and remember somberly, but then also just to celebrate passionately of what Christ has done. And then I would say to love, right? To love people. Love one another here and then love people. The ultimate way that I think you can love someone is to show them the way. Show them who the way is, that the way is Jesus. And so even if that's like in your bulletins, you've got like a little Easter invite card You've got these things that are on the back of the chair in front of you, these little pamphlets called The Way. Yeah, it's the way to eternal life that you could talk to someone about to give someone that, to invite them to an Easter egg hunt or just something, just some way of sharing the truth of who Jesus is, that ultimate loving example that also stretches us as we feel afraid to do that and all of that, and we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. So I encourage you this week as you're considering how can I prepare myself for Easter to take these steps of considering the way Jesus prepared his disciples? So now let's, uh, let me pray. I want to pray for us that we can just, we're going to worship. We're going to give through, um, to God we'll worship through the giving of our offerings, our tithes, as we worship him through that, as we give back to him. And I want to pray for that and just pray that as we worship, let's worship passionately this God who has given up so much of himself for us. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for your example of love. The example of self-sacrificial love. And Lord, I pray that we would take these words to heart. That as we consider, Lord, your, your famous last words, to love Lord, to believe, God, may we be completely focused on you. May you give us the power to live this out. We love you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.